Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you, and it's good to worship Jesus. It really is. It's amazing to to have holy moments together, and um, and the promise that that there's more to come. And so I I uh, I wanted to share with you some things um, staying in in Exodus chapter 16 for week number three. So um, we're on this journey through the book of Exodus in our Way Forward series. And I really truly believe that the journey is one of um, freedom and that it's an ongoing journey. And so for the rest of your life on this earth, you will continue to grow in freedom. Isn't that good news? But for the rest of your life on this journey here on the earth, there's a, an enemy of your soul who wants to hold you back from that freedom. And um, I wanted to just take a moment just for the sake of continuity so you know where we've come from and review some of the things that we talked about last week. And, and I, I'll just say to you, I, I know that some of these things are deep, you know, and they go deep quickly. But, um, but I believe that God wants to do a deep work. Don't you want a deep work done in your life? I, I mean, the... the the opposite of that would be, man, God, just do something superficial in me. You know, I'm just into the surface here. Just do something lightweight, you know? Like, if we're going to go there with God, shouldn't we go full on? And, and so that's my heart's desire, and I want more freedom in my life. I'm experiencing it through his word and through this series myself, and I pray that, that you're experiencing it as well. And, and so just by way of review from last week, we talked about some of these maybe four principles with some definitions. And... Um, how many of you were aware of your grumbling this week? Right? And, and that wasn't a condemning word last week, by the way. It's a reality word of, of, of hum, humankind that, that we are grumblers when we're detoxing ourselves from captivity. So that, that we are held captive to our flesh sometimes. Even though Jesus has come to set us free, sometimes we don't act like it. And so um, the, the, the challenge was to pay attention to what you're grumbling about and figure out why you're grumbling. And in doing so, um, you begin to increase your faith. So it goes from like a grumbling situation into a grateful one, right? Remember we said that the language of captivity is grumbling, but, but the language of freedom is gratitude, right? Seeing who God is and what he can do. And so the first thing and principle that we talked about last week is, is understanding that our captor is a deceiver. So the enemy doesn't want us to know that we're enslaved. If he can get us thinking that we're all good, then, then man, what a victory, right? He's, he's, he's tricky in that way. And so if you're, if you're one who um, doesn't want to look at the iceberg underneath, right? Remember that iceberg picture that I showed you where the greatest bit of it is under the water? Um, if he can get you from looking at any of that, then he's kind of winning, and so knowing that his nature, and we don't like to give him a lot of pulpit time here, but it's a reality. We've got to understand what, um, who, who he is, is he's a liar and he deceives. And so some of that lying that you've listened to for many years um, is leading you to captivity. And the word of God sheds truth to those things and helps you to over, overcome those lies. The second thing is that we looked at the fact that God is a relational rescuer. Right? He can do anything. Um, I'll, I'll share this a little more in the sermon, but uh, it's, a, it's a truth that I think we need to understand theologically is that God doesn't need you. But he invites you, right? So, so sometimes we're under this impression that God needs us. Like, he's got he's to use me to fulfill this great commission. There's a part of that we'll understand. But he, he is all sufficient. Like, how many of you know God's good? And like, he is strong and he's the creator of the universe. But he's so good that he invites you into his goodness relationally. And so he's a relational rescuer. He can do anything, but you are a participant in your rescue by seeing and acknowledging where you need help. 
It's the start for anything if you've ever struggled from addiction or things like that. You, the, the, the beginning point is to go, I'm powerless over this and I need help. It's that place of surrender. But it goes in every area of our lives. If we can't see where we need help and call out to God, um, then we're just left alone in our captivity, sort of faking it, keeping it superficial. The third thing, God finds the most effective ways to reveal your captivity. How many of you can look over your life and go, oh, that's why, you know, like say for the children of Israel, that's why we're led three days into the wilderness and there's no water and we're dehydrating, you know. It's, it's exposing the stuff that, that needs to be dealt with. Like what's coming out when you grumble it exposes that stuff so that God can deal with it. And he has really effective ways of doing that. He allows testing. He allows consequences. He allows us to hit the rock bottom so that you see the need for him and choose to walk in his ways. So it's not a game with God. He's not playing a game with you. He's just being faithful to how things are. And so when there's difficulty, when there's struggle, it's not like, why God? You know, I mean, those are natural human questions. But it's more like, God, what are you up to right now? What do I need to see? And finding that you're coming to him and surrendering yourself um, to the process. And some, some of the, uh, just don't want to re-preach everything, but, but the, um, the ways that, that he's effective and, and good to reveal that we see all throughout the, the story of the children of Israel. And then finally, the, we've been talking a lot about captivity and, and freedom. And I think it's important to keep sort of a working definition. This isn't the only definition of freedom, but, but that we might understand that freedom looks like a greater capacity to live as you were created in an ever-increasing love and trust-filled relationship with God. So, so freedom isn't a one-time deal where you're like, okay, I'm free. But you're growing in freedom, and you're learning to love and trust Him more. And then finally, that you see yourself in truth and free from the hold of sin. Sorry, seeing God in truth and seeing yourself in truth free from the hold of sin. So, so these are some of the principles and things that have, are, we're gleaning from our study in Exodus and I'm kind of unwilling to go on from, from chapter 16 because there's this one part that um, is so important. And it's an area where I feel like I've been trying to grow in my life. And, um, and we find it towards the tail end of, of the chapter. And so um, in this 16th chapter, God has provided quail that comes, just comes right to them. They don't have to shoot them down. The quail just come right to them. He provides manna. And then he, he, he says this sort of mysterious thing. It's like you gather it every day and you don't store it, remember? Because what happens when you store it? It stank. It says it in the Bible. It says it stank. <laughs> so you want to avoid the stank, you got to listen to God, right? So, so you do this for, for six days. And on the sixth day, he says you gather twice as much. So there's one day that it's permissible to gather more than you need for that particular day. You gather a little bit extra. And it won't stank on that day. Right? Thank you for the last Shelly. I need those to keep going. Uh, no, but, but, but you, you don't, you, it, it doesn't rot that extra day because why? He says that there's a day of holy and solemn rest. And it's called the Sabbath, right? And so, how many of you have any familiar, like if I say Sabbath, you know, you have familiarity with that term for sure. And, what, and usually what we think of is, is a Jewish thing, right? And um, if you've ever had an opportunity to travel to, um, to, to Israel and maybe like see some of the sites and things like that, you see a whole nation that observes a Sabbath. If you have um, friends that are, are Jewish people that observe a Sabbath, you know it's an entire detailed thing where everything gets shut off in order to have a time of rest. 
And so the question for us this morning that I want to delve into a little bit is, is Sabbath a thing for Christians? You know, is it a thing for us? Is there a New Testament concept to this idea of Sabbath? And, um, and what did God have in mind? So are you cool with that? All right. That was your chance. If you didn't want to go Sabbath this morning, it's like, whoo, whoa, would you look at the time? <laughs> Um, let's read in Exodus chapter 16, and, and with the time that we have remaining, let's look into some of this stuff. It says in, in verse 22 of Exodus 16, On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and, and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Uh, understand that word commanded, right? Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and what is left over will lay aside and be kept till the morning. And so they laid it all, they laid it aside until the morning, and Moses, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink. And there were no worms in it. That's a bonus, right? <laughs> yeah, no worms in my food. Uh, verse 25. Moses said, Eat today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. And you will um, find you will not find in the field. Today you will not find in the field. Um, six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Uh, if you're taking notes and, and wanting a simple definition of Sabbath in its literal term, it just means to cease, like to stop, right? And um, the couple of things that jumped out on the page to me were holy Sabbath and solemn rest. Just as I, I just described what worship is, that Worship isn't just like a good music, like, that's my jam, you know, I love that song. I think it's funny sometimes how we have like our own personal top tens of worship, like if they would have just played this song, I would have been able to worship, you know. Um, it, it's not like that, right? Just as worship is holy or set apart music of, of expression and declaration of God's goodness and his glory, um, so Sabbath has an element of holy rest. And so if it's holy Sabbath or holy rest, it means it's a different kind of rest. I like a good nap every once in a while. Sabbath is a different kind of rest than that, although it could include a good nap. If it's a holy rest, it's a rest that's centered in resting in Him. It's resting in the Lord. And, um, and, and so we'll get into a little bit more of that. Solemn rest. Um, this means that it's sincere, that it's intentional, that it's even like ceremonial. And that's where some of the, the definition of that word solemn might come in. Um, let's look really quickly to Isaiah chapter 58 in verse 13. Isaiah helps us understand um, what Sabbath is and what it isn't. Especially this idea of, of it being solemn or holy. He says, um, this is God speaking through his prophet Isaiah in verse 13. It says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure, like your pleasure, on my holy day, and then you call it, and call Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or taking idle, or talking idly, excuse me, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When I was reading that, I couldn't help but um, feel like it, like, 
Isaiah and then later Moses when he gets kind of upset with the children of Israel. Like, how long are you going to test God in this way? It sounds a lot like Malachi, right? Do you remember Malachi or Malachi, the Italian prophet? (laughs) Malachi. Church jokes are the best, right? Like, Okay, so um, Malachi is the one who talks about tithing, right? And, then, and he says, why do you keep robbing me? God speaking to his people. How, you ask, how do I rob you? He says, you rob me with your tithes and offerings. And then Malachi goes into this thing of like, you should test me in this and see if I'm not faithful. Like if I basically wouldn't open up the heavens and pour out to you. This isn't a message about tithing, but Sabbath is kind of uh, a little bit connected to tithing in a certain way. Um, tithing being an Old Testament principle and Sabbath also being an Old Testament command. There is such a rich benefit to doing it, but it doesn't make natural sense to you. Tithing doesn't make natural sense to you. Maybe it does to you now because you've practiced it and you do it as worship as unto the Lord, but let's just take it like logically for a minute. Does it make sense to you for you to give away a portion of your hard-earned money just to go, oh yeah, here, let me just give that away. Does your flesh love that? The answer is no, like your flesh really doesn't love to give anything away. Your flesh is selfish. But you learn how to do that because you do it as an honor to God. And you go, wow, how is it that my life is so enriched? How is it that God is faithful to his word that as I give, he gives to me? And I don't do it as like a savings plan, but I do it as worship. But I'm just standing back in awe going, wow, God, how could you make something out of nothing? How could you provide so faithfully? In the same way, it's really odd to think of having a a particular time that's carved out to just enjoy God. This is the heart of God. Like, God wants you to enjoy Him, enjoy creation, and enjoy the people around you, so much so that He makes a command to do it. And we're like, like, and I said, you know, I was thinking this, like, you don't wake up in the morning and go, I think I'm going to worship a graven image today. You know, you, you hopefully don't wake up in the morning and go, man, who can I kill? You know, today's a good day for a good murder. You hopefully don't wake up in the morning and go, you know, adultery is an option. Like, these are commands that God, you know, maybe I'll dishonor my parents. Maybe I'll covet my neighbor's stuff, right? You, we don't think that way. And yet there's this command that tells us to have a Sabbath and to keep it holy. And we don't really think a lot about it because, you know, that's just an Old Testament Jewish thing. I, I, am I the only one? I mean, I was raised in the church. And so you think about that, and you also think that not only is it a command that that we don't keep, we don't really maybe consider like we ought to, but it's one that we celebrate the fact that we don't do it. And here's what I mean by that. Busy Christians are the best kind, right? It's like bragging points. Like, it's just a part of our deal where if you could say, like, hey, what'd you do? Oh, my gosh, I'm so busy. You know, we talked about this in a series a while back, like, I did this, this, and this, I I read my Bible all day, then I witnessed, then I went and visited people, and then you go through your list of productivity, and you're just like, wow, man, you're amazing, when do you have time to rest, you might say to the person, and they'll say something like, oh, you can rest in heaven, because I'm doing, I'm a soldier for Jesus, man, I'm a soldier for God, that's no reference to soldiers for Jesus, Marilyn, Um, I'm a soldier of the Lord. And I do stuff for God because I'm productive. And so everybody around you goes like, man, you're amazing. And, and I wish I could be like you. I wish I could be as busy as that guy. I'm not as important. And we celebrate that. We honor. We put people on a pedestal. 
That guy puts in 80 hours a week for Jesus. He's amazing. His family's a wreck, but he's amazing. I'm, I'm saying it in jest, but it's kind of true. You know, it's kind of true. And so, so it, it made me, like, look at some things in my life over the last couple of years, really. And, um, and I'm not saying that I've got it and, I, and I've got a good rhythm, but, but I, I would look at, um, at principles all throughout Scripture that call us to a rhythm of work and rest. And, and we, I think, our rhythm is as bad as our clapping is sometimes here. Um, <laughs> You know, I love you all, and uh, I was just grateful that Lisa was up here keeping the beat. <laughs> because it's like, follow Lisa, and you get the clap. Because some of these songs, they're complicated clappers. They're not like your old school clapping. You're like, do I one in four? I mean, one in three? Like, when do I clap? But anyways, sometimes our life can be a little bit like, ur, 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 like work, rest, work, rest, you know? In fact, we work hopefully super hard so that we get that minute to rest, but our rest looks like total exhaustion where it's just button on, button off. And, and trust me, we, we can talk about this subject probably for weeks, and I'm not coming at you condemning. I know that busyness is part of reality for many people. It, you might hear that and go, oh, it would be nice to just take a day of rest, but I got bills to pay, I got stuff to do. I understand that. I do, and so I'm not, I'm not coming at you like that. I'm just saying in the way that we're processing, in the way that we're thinking, in the way even that we're reading Scripture... Are we planning time just set apart to enjoy God, to enjoy his creation, and to enjoy one another? And we literally planned for it. As not just a good idea that would enrich our life, but as a response to part of his way of life and his commands over us. Look at Genesis chapter 2. You know where I'm going before I go there. And as you're turning there... I have this like really fond memory um, when, when I was traveling in missions, I spent a little bit of time in Brazil. And, and I would say the national religion of Brazil is soccer or football, right? Their football, our soccer. And especially when there's like the World Cup or something like that. It, it doesn't matter if you're young, old, male, female. Everybody together knows soccer. And you know that when it's game day, that that is what you do. And I remember we were there, and we had, like, plans, and, you know, we were working in the, the slums of the favelas, and, and um, our contact there was like, no matter what you think you're going to do on this day, you're not doing anything. It will do you no good. In fact, you might get shot if you knock on a door or do anything like that. And I'm saying that literally, not figuratively, um, because this is very important to the people, and, and I remember him saying, if this is very important to the people, maybe it should be important to us. And so he goes, instead of doing what you're going to do, let's go get a bunch of meat and let's barbecue and let's all have a great day together all day. We'll eat a bunch of food and we'll watch the soccer game. And I was like, okay. So we, I remember going and, and we're picking out the meat. And this was before, the day before the soccer game. And he's all, no, no, we have to marinate it. And it has to be just right. And we have to go get these special coals to put it over the fire. And it was a lot of work to get to that point. And then game day came. And we barbecued a bunch of um, chujasco, chujasco that, that, the just super good chunks of beef. Am I making you hungry? And, and then... And then we, we enjoyed each other, we laughed, we, we watched the soccer game together, and it was like, whoa, this is cool. That was not a Sabbath, but it is an example of so- soccer Sabbathing, okay? That was soccer Sabbathing, full on. 
And it's such a fond memory to me because it was kind of like there is nothing else that I could be doing right now or this entire nation is doing right now other than this same thing. And so we just sit back and enjoy and rest. Now imagine if the body of Christ was that way, that you know there's nothing else to do in this moment. There's no other emergency to attend to or work that I could be doing for God. But, but myself and my community is just resting, eating, enjoying, celebrating together. And knowing that it is, there's no guilt to it because it's what God wants. And so when you think of the, the story of, of God from the very beginning, he's a creator, right? The creator of heaven and earth, and he creates. And he himself, who, by the way, didn't need to rest because he doesn't get tired. The, the Bible says in Psalm 121, he neither slumbers nor he, he doesn't sleep. He says thus in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work that he had done in creation. So if it's a command from God, it's written throughout scripture and God himself does it, do you think we should pay attention to it? I think that this, um, well, I don't, I don't want to... What do they say? Beat a dead horse. Um, what's important about Sabbath to me and what I'm learning about Sabbath is that it's a big picture. It's not just a, a religious duty from particular denominations or, when, or whatever. There's, I'll show you in the New Testament where it's far less legalistic than we read in the Old Testament. Jesus addresses it. But um, what it does for us is it helps put things in the right categories. And... The Bible tells a story of six days of work and one day of rest. And, and I think that we have a different story that we believe. But what understanding that has done in my life and I believe might change in, in, in all of our lives if we take heart to it is that not only is your rest holy, but guess what else is holy? Your work. Your work is holy and your rest is holy. Now, what's the story that we believe? I hate my job, I just got to get through it to get a certain amount of years, or like I can't wait to, to clock out of this place, if, if you do hate your job, I'm not saying everybody does, but it's like I got to get it, just get out of here so that I can finally get to the place where I can just rest, I just got to get home so I can rest. But when we understand the rhythm of God, we realize he's placed us in certain places with certain things to do, and that that all six of those days, that my work on Monday is holy as unto God. My work on Tuesday is holy as unto God. And, and, and even my work at home, the things that I do, the things that I do to help run the house or, or, or whatever, that it's work, but it's not, a, it's not a drudgery. It's a gift, and it's something that God is redeeming. And then I get this one day where there's no work. That is a day of rest. And so that's been helpful in my life. So um, let's, let's read on in, in verse, going back to Exodus chapter 16 and 27, and then I want to wrap this up with maybe some practical things. It says, On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And Moses said to them, this is where I think Moses sounds like Malachi the prophet, like, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. He's given it to you. It's his gift. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one out of this place on the seventh day. And so the people, so the people rested on the seventh day. Um, I've been reading this book, and I'm really enjoying it. 
and it's called Art and Faith. And it's, called, it's written by an author, um, Makoto Fujimori, who's a, a, a wonderful, amazing artist. I'd encourage you to look it up. And um, one of the things that he brings out about God that I think leads to sort of the reason why we don't experience things like Sabbath rest or resting in the Lord or waiting on him is because uh, we have a utilitarian view of God or of our faith. And what is a utilitarian view? It's less focused on what's beautiful and lavish and wonderful, and what it, and it's focused more on what's purposeful. Okay, does that make sense? So utilitarian is designed to be useful rather than useful and practical rather than being attractive. So we might think of God that way. You know, he's only interested in what's useful and productive. And when you take a step back and think about your vision of God, um, God is so lavish. He's so lavish. If you look at creation, if you take any time, maybe you like to hike or you go to the Grand Canyon or you go to the Niagara Falls or you even look at the hills and there's certain things that you look at that are just there designed for your, for your pleasure. I, I like to look at some of the rock formations and the cliffs in Laguna Beach. And I just sit there and look at them and, and there isn't like a, I mean there's there's life happening, and there's shade that's happening, and stuff like that. There's purpose, but it doesn't seem like God's like, all right, let me let me just build these things, a bunch of right angles, and um, you know, make sure that there's everything fits just so. It's just beautiful. God is that way, and sometimes in in like a, a industrial mindset that we get, right, and it's part of our heritage as a nation. It's what allowed great expansion and growth, but sometimes our mindset is, is like, how can a factory turn out a million little widgets in one minute? That's productive. But the language of the Bible and the culture of the Bible is agricultural. It's more like, how can soil be tilled and one seed be dropped into it and that soil covered and then watered And then over time, how can that seed turn into a shoot to be nurtured, to be a plant, to then eventually become something that bears fruit? Do you see the difference? There's nothing inherently wrong with a factory. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But I have a picture over here of a steam engine and a machine. And some machine is going, and it's turning out the same widget over and over and over again. It's not the place where I just want to sit and listen to classical music and, you know, write in my journal, right? I have over here a, a garden with a seed that's planted and processed and waiting and patience and then the joy of seeing something rise. If you're wondering, like, how does this make sense to the Sabbath? I'm trying to my best to, to share with you what freedom, I believe, looks like and what understanding what the culture of slavery that we've been attached to looks like. Remember a few weeks ago, I, I said that we're all kind of hiding behind some things, you know? And, and some of the things that we hide behind, if we're, um, we, we can hide behind our theology and think, man, I know a ton about God and I know a ton about his word and it becomes a hiding place for us. And others of us that experience God deeply and we feel and we can, we can hide behind that experience. And I think a third thing that we can sometimes hide behind, we can hide behind our productivity, does that make any sense? The way that you hide behind your theology is you can say and do whatever you want, but it's like, no, I know what the Bible says and this book I read and blah, blah, blah. The way that you hide behind your, your, um, your experience is like, you know what? 
God's trying to get through to you. He's speaking some things to you, but it's like, no, I'm feeling, I'm full on, I'm, my hands are lifted. I'm getting the goosebumps. The way that you hide behind your productivity is God wants to teach you some things and get through. You're like, no, look at all the stuff I'm doing. I can show you on my calendar. Look at everything I did. And it can become a really comfortable hiding place when God is wanting to say, I am relational and I want to enjoy you and I want you to enjoy others. Um, God is lavish. And the, the example of God's lavish nature, I'm running out of time, but the example of God's lavish nature is found um, in, in um, Mary's pouring out of like this beautiful, expensive perfume. Do you remember this story? Jesus is with his good friends and Martha and Mary and Lazarus and, and they're in Bethany and, and Mary comes out and if you, if you look into it and dig into it, it's probably like about 11, 12 ounces of beautiful, expensive perfume. Um, I think today's going rate would it would be maybe somewhere between thirty and $50,000 worth of perfume. Like who has that? Do any of you have that? So anyways, she has that and, and, and the thing about Mary's response to the Lord says so as Jesus is there and Lazarus has been risen from the dead already Jesus resurrects him and and they're there together and it's near the triumphal entry it's near the time where Jesus is going to go to the cross and Mary comes and she pours out like the whole thing if you had something like that let's just say that even if you poured out like just a, a like a long drip of it it would be more than a mist right and the average person would go man that was really cool of Mary she she didn't just mist the, the perfume, but she actually poured a little, a little bit out. Let's say she poured half of it out. Wow, that's $25,000 worth of perfume she poured out. I, I get the picture of Mary's like, I am all in. She pours it out. Her hair's down. She's completely vulnerable before Jesus. She's wiping up the, the excess with her hair, and the fragrance of that perfume is just filling the place. That is lavish. Now, the productive people in the room, the utilitarian people in the room, the ones that were like, what? Namely, Judas. I don't know about you, but Judas' reputation throughout Scripture is not like exemplary. Like, you don't go, man, man Judas, that's my guy, right? Judas is the one that goes, what is she doing? This is ridiculous. What a waste. That could be sold and the money given to the poor. That was his, and, and, we, and, and before we like start like taking shots at Judas, maybe some of us have said similar things. I had an experience this week where someone was saying like something that a church had done where they could have paid this price, but they paid that price. What a waste of money. I could, the person, I could have done it for half that. You know, these are the types of productive mentality. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not talking about wasting money just for the sake of wasting it, but do you hear me? Like, that's part, built into our mindset. And so here, Judas is the one that's like, that was ridiculous. We, we could have sold that and given the money to the poor. And don't you, if you want to know how Jesus felt about that, he recorded, it's recorded for us. In, in, in Matthew, I believe, Jesus says these words, leave her alone. That is the best statement ever. Don't you think? The Son of God, he's got his disciple there who's being super practical. And his response is, leave her alone. What she's done is a beautiful thing. She is preparing my body for my death. Man, if we could have that kind of lavish response to God, what a beautiful, beautiful moment. 
Um, I'll read in Matthew. Do we have Matthew up there? Matthew 26, verse 10. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. You will always have the poor with you. That's the practical thing. And it's true. He, the Bible doesn't let us off the hook for caring for the poor with this verse. Jesus is illustrating a moment where they were more concerned about being practical than they were about being lavish. And it says, you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In the pouring um, this ointment on the body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in, my, in memory of her. It was that lavish response of impracticality, of not a very productive thing to do, is to be told all the time whenever the gospel is proclaimed. That is how important that response was to our God. Can you let that settle in for a minute? It's kind of a big deal. And it might be conflicting in your thinking right now because it really rattles a worldview that says something different. It rattles an identity that we can have that we are valuable because of the amount of stuff that we can get done. We're valuable because not only can we get a lot done, but we can get a lot done for God. Because somehow in our mentality, we think he needs us versus he invites us and wants us. It's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. And it's something that is a a freedom response. A person who is free and understands that will in turn become so much more productive for God because now you're living out of freedom. You're not living out of duty. Man, I'm just, honestly, I'm not trying to be obnoxious. I really think it's so important and I really trust that the Holy Spirit will allow these things to become good seed planted in your heart because the freedom that he wants to give us in these areas is beyond what our mind can even begin to understand. Um. I I wrote here in my notes that we're invited into a lavish relationship with God. Think of some of the terminology in Scripture that God doesn't say, I will will drip my spirit out on all mankind. I will sprinkle my spirit on you. What does he say? I will pour. Pour. I've done that analogy before. If I had water, I'd do it. I don't. I left it down there. But, you know, when you... You just sit there and pour it out. There's no, um, there's no like halfway to do that. Pouring is pouring, man. You pour it all out. And he has poured out his spirit, not just on, on all the men in the room, all the brothers. No, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And then he goes on men, on sons, on daughters, on young people, on old people. This whole pouring is lavish. It's who God is. And so this helps us to understand All right, so now down to some practical things. Um, The Sabbath that I believe would be beneficial to many of our lives is more New Testament than it is Old Testament. Jesus spent a lot of time addressing the legalism of Sabbath, right? Can I walk 10 steps on the Sabbath or do I walk nine and then have to take a rest and then do nine more? Like, can I boil this kind of water on this pot? Do I have to turn my refrigerator off on the Sabbath? Can I go in an elevator on the Sabbath? You know, these are reasons why we don't really look at the Sabbath. Are you with me? Jesus' view doesn't seem to be like that because he and his boys break the, they break the Sabbath. And they get called out for it by the religious elite. And in Mark um, 2, verse 23, it says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain field, and as they made their way, one of the disciples began to pluck a head of grain. I love that. I think it's so awesome. 
because they're walking with the Son of God and breaking the rule. It's awesome. And like Jesus isn't freaking out about it, going, what are you, what are the, there's a rabbi right over there. What are you doing? You know, put that grain down. I think Jesus is like, go for it, right? And I think he's just like, to the religious elite, bring it on. You got something to say about it? Like the same mentality and attitude that would say, leave her alone, would be the same that he responds with his disciples, right? And the Pharisees were saying to him, look what they are doing. Um, they are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, hey, and, and this is what's important. He goes, I'm going to reach into history and pull out one of your heroes, David. Remember what David did? He says, have you ever read what David did when he was in need and was hungry and those who were with him? He entered the house of God at the time of Abathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for any but the priests to do. And he gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, these are important words. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man the Sabbath. This is your lavish gift and a command to, uh, to adhere to it. It's for you. You are not for it. It is for you. And then he says, so the Son of Man is even the Lord of the Sabbath. I might have shared this before in my own personal walk with God, but I think in the, especially in the early years of pastoring here, just in coming from my experiences on the mission field, I was always just bound by like, what am I doing right now? I'm like, I shouldn't be sitting here. I need to be going doing something. You know, and, and so I was living in so much guilt, so much so that like it affected the way that vacations were planned or time off was planned or whatever else. It's like, I am important and God needs me. Have you seen my business card? You know, whatever, back in the day when people had those. And so I remember one day being out for a walk and, and I remember like just sensing the presence of the Lord saying, hey, there's stuff for you to enjoy and, and, and like really calling me to that. And, and I remember thinking, well, if, that's, if this is really you, God, I, I need some scripture about that. And I just remember that still small voice in, with God's words in him saying, well, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And it has changed the way that I look at the things that, that I do to enjoy the people in the world around me. I'm not great at it, but I want to get better at it. And so when, when I begin to think about Sabbath and maybe something that you might think about walking towards I'm not calling our church to, um, now you better take 24 hours off or don't come here. You know, it's not that moment. It's as you're on your journey into freedom, there's some things that you might want to think about adding to your life that will cost you something but will benefit you far more on the other side. And one of the things that you might think about entering and bringing into your life is an intentional time set apart to enjoy God, a holy Sabbath, a solemn rest. And you might consider testing him in it to see if the rhythm of your life improves. So instead of, of like a jerky kind of rhythm where start, stop, start, stop, longing for rest, you realize I'm going to work hard, get things done, because guess what? Sabbath is coming. Man, the, the children, I'm sure um, in these days of, of communities that really celebrated Sabbath well, I'm sure the children couldn't wait for Sabbath because the food was going to be good. The conversation was going to be rich. It was planned to just enjoy what would it look like for you to think about Sundays that way? As part of your rhythm of, of Saturday, there's no chores on Sunday. There's no lawns being mowed on Sunday. 
There's no kitchen stuff being done. There's no dusting and last-minute things that you're using that last day before you get back into your It doesn't, doesn't happen in your house, that your kids are raised with that thought process. Man, I loved Sundays because there were donuts at church, and then we, had to, we didn't have chores afterwards. Listen, what if, what if Saturday looked like a day, and, you're, and I know, I know you're thinking like, you have no idea how many sports my kids are in, and I have to work on Saturdays. I know there's adjustments to all these things, but just hear me out. What if Saturday looked like an anticipation, like we got stuff to do? You know the kind of anticipation that you have like before Christmas or whatever else? What if that was every week? And every week you go, oh, Sunday's my day to spend with God and God's people. And I can't wait. But in order to do it well, I got to make sure I don't have other stuff to do. So Saturday, even if we got to stay up late doing it, all the dishes are done on Saturday and all the stuff is clean on Saturday. And all I got to do is wake up and go, "Woo! what fun do I get to have today with God? And it's not just a good idea. It's a command. Man, I've taken too much time. I just looked at the clock. But, but... Keep these things in mind, you know, keep them in mind that, that rest, enjoyment, and these things are in, ordained by God. Um, there's the, for all you Reformed theologians, the Reformers had a, a, um, a confession or these catechisms, these things that you would say and teach to your children. And the very first one, for those of you that, that know these things, is the question, they're question and answer things, things that you begin to build into the lives of your children and that you yourself understand and confess. And the first one is, what is the chief end of man? Do you know this one? What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Maybe sometimes we think, I want to glorify God with all the stuff that I do, but have we given time to think about what it looks like to plan on enjoying God on this side of eternity? And so you have um, before you, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And I really do appreciate and thank you for listening to me um, for longer than, well, I shouldn't say longer than usual because I tend to go longer than I should. But I believe this stuff is important. In fact, I believe there's more to be said on it. And I hope that it starts up a conversation. I would invite that conversation of even some practical things that I've tried to do in my life. And I would love to talk with you more about it. But the application today is to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. We have the privilege of receiving communion. And um, we're going to end with a song that we ended with before we began this study, before we began our lesson for today. Um, This is holy ground. And, And Jesus invites us to his table, right? The table where we can taste and see that he's good this morning. Um, we get to do it as often as we want to, and I don't think we do it often enough. But, but we have the elements of communion. In fact, I'm going to invite you to take the cup and the, the, the wafer that's provided there for you, and I'm going to just ask you to go ahead and get it out of the, the COVID-safe um, communion receptacle. I like to say let's just get that part over with so that we can remember that what we're holding is holy. And as we're holding it, I want to bring you back to the lavish nature of God who pours out on you, who wants your highest, this, who, who, who wants to give you rest, who wants you to enjoy your family, to enjoy your neighbors, who gives you work to do for a period of days 
and gives you rest. And this is deeper than motivational speaking. This is deeper than a principle to add to your life. This is a a rhythm that God has set forth for humanity. And it's a command that he gives in his word. And so maybe as we're receiving communion today, um, let's ask the Lord to give us a new measure of ability to enjoy him, to break past some of our, our wiring that has taught us that we're only valuable if we're productive. And I believe as we break out of some of that, we'll find truly we will be more productive for God and even around us. The Bible tells us when we come to the table of communion not to do it in an unworthy manner. And so as you hold it before God, today it's a, it's a reminder of his, his unending love for you, his lavish love that's poured out for you. It's a reminder of his forgiveness over you. That every time you come to the table, it's a, it's a do-over. That it gives you a moment to have to reflect on where you're in disunity with another brother or sister. Whether you are convicted of sin that's in your life. These things that we feel and, and that we experience in our life are not God's um, wrath coming down upon us. It's his love and his goodness that helps point out areas that he wants us to be free of. And so as you take a moment to think about these things, honor God for his unending love. Respond to God in areas where you need to ask him for forgiveness and then rest in his goodness. Today is a day that could be for you a Sabbath. I'm going to give you a moment, and as they play, just, um, just give yourself some time to think about some of these things. thank you for this holy ground when we stand or sit or kneel or wherever we find ourselves in the presence of a holy God and you've made provision you've made a way for our impurity for our sinfulness to be redeemed so that we can be in the presence of a holy God I thank you for the gospel Lord I thank you for what's represented in what we hold in our hands. That Jesus, you came to the earth as a man. 
into your own creation and you walked among us and you were without sin. And being without sin, you continued to go the full distance to take sin on and to die in an unjust way and to conquer death so that we can have resurrection with you. Thank you for your blood that covers over our sins. Thank you for what you experienced that, God, you endured shame to heal us from it, Lord, that by your stripes we could be made whole. Thank you for salvation, Lord. Thank you for ours, and thank you for the salvations that have yet to come. Even in this moment as we're holding on to the elements of communion and maybe you're here going, can I even do this? Maybe you're searching, maybe you're you're trying to figure out what you believe. The Bible tells you that, that this is something that believers do and this could be the opportunity for you to profess your faith. To say, I'm doing this by faith because my, my search has ended and now I believe and Jesus is who he says he is and I want to I follow him and I want his life to be my life and I want my sins to be washed clean and I want to be able to enjoy God like, like is being talked about today. And I also realize that this idea of salvation is saving me from a path that's leading to destruction. And the destruction is here on earth, but the destruction is far more desperate because the destruction ends in eternity, separated from God in a place that God had intended for no one to ever be except for the devil and his angels. But by choice to neglect God, we choose to find ourselves separated from him. But the good news is there's a way to not go there in a way to enjoy Him and enjoy life and life abundant. And it's through salvation. So thank you for this great salvation. God, as we hold the bread before you, your body broken for us, you say to do this in remembrance of you and we remember today. And we thank you and we enjoy you. Let's go ahead and eat. There's the cup that you have. And I'm going to ask you to stand as you hold the cup. Because of the cup, you don't have to sit. You don't have to shrink away. You don't have to hide. You don't have to hide behind theology. You don't have to hide behind experience. You don't have to hide behind productivity. You don't have to fake it. You can stand boldly before God as a child of God who is loved, who is redeemed, who is washed in this precious blood, which means... You're made clean of your sins. And you're made alive in Christ. We hold this cup before you and we say thank you. We say we remember. We thank you for this new covenant of your grace that we walk in rich, vibrant, real, loving relationship with the creator of the universe. Thank you, God, for this cup. As you drink it, remember God's goodness. Thank you, Lord. Now, I want to read this psalm over you, and I just want to invite you to stay in kind of an attitude of worship. And this is what the Word of God says in Psalm 34. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes it a boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. 
Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And God, may we take refuge in you. May we taste and see that you're good just as we've tasted and seen communion this morning. May this attitude and this heart response to Sabbath be ours, Lord, where we continuously, regularly, as a part of our week, taste and see that you're good, enjoying you, Lord, as you've desired and commanded. Thank you. Bless your people today, I pray, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. Oh, I'm not here for blessing. 